Good morning. Good to be with you. My name is Cheryl. I'm one of the pastors here at Menlo Church. Super excited for those of you who are online with us. Thank you. If you're visiting with us for the first time, thank you for uh, giving us your time and being with us. Uh, we're glad to be together. Uh, we are uh, multiple, you were one church in multiple places, so shout out to San Jose and San Mateo and Saratoga and to Mountain View and to you guys too. Uh, I'm excited about where we are headed together as a church. By God's grace, Menlo Church exists to help people find and follow Jesus because we believe that the core of our identity, if you wanna know who you really are, the trajectory of our destiny is found in relationship with our creator, the one who made us, the one who designed us, and his name is Jesus. So we exist to help people find and follow Jesus, but where we can trip up is when we hear that as our purpose and we hear it only as we exist to help those people find Jesus, right? We exist to help them follow Jesus. I think you guys know this, but this mission of ours is for us, it's for me, it's for you. I can tell you, I went into vocational ministry right out after graduating for, from college, so a few years ago, and, uh, and I can tell you this by personal experience. I'm not gonna go there right now because I don't wanna be that vulnerable with you, but I can tell you that you can run a ministry, you can do ministry, you can run a church, and not follow Jesus. Because you can just imitate what other people are doing. You can rely on your own strength. You can rely on uh, you know, your own gifts and talents and all those things. We can be a church and we can gather together and we don't have to follow Jesus to do religion. And so, what we wanna do over the next eight weeks is we wanna consider what does it mean for us to be a gathering of people who are committed, starting with us, to find Jesus, to follow Jesus. What does that mean? And my hope is that we'll do this not in a religious, institutional way, but we will consider this through scripture, through the presence of the spirit, through the gathered community helping one another together. What does it mean? What does it mean for us together to find and follow Jesus? So today what I wanna do is I just wanna lay the foundation to where we're headed. And I wanna consider three things that I think can trip us up in following Jesus. Next week we're gonna talk about finding Jesus, but I wanna talk about three things that can trip us up, can hinder us as we consider following Jesus. They are, one, our understanding of Jesus. Secondly, our interaction with the Bible. And third, our misconceptions of following. So let me pray 
and uh, we'll dive in. Maybe just pause. Invite God, the Father, to speak to you in this time. We're thankful, Lord, for your presence. That we don't have to beg you to come, that you are already here. That you care about us, that you see us, that you pursue us. You come after us even when we really don't want to come after you. You love us even when we don't feel worthy of your love. And so we want to know you. And we ask, would the scripture come alive to us today? Would the words of my mouth, would the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you? Jesus, my savior, my sovereign, my king, my friend, amen. So one of the things that can trip us up as we think about following Jesus is simply our understanding of Jesus. Here's the thing that happens is that we tend to, uh, we tend to kind of have a Mr. Potato Head version of Jesus. Anyone like me? You see, I love it when Jesus heals. I like that Jesus. <laughs> but I'm not quite sure what to do with the Jesus who looks at a crowd and says, woe to you. Right. I love that Jesus is a God of love, that he invites us to love. That's one of the most beautiful things of the Christian faith, right? Is that our ethic stands upon, is grounded in the activity of love, of compassion, of mercy. But I don't know what to do when Jesus says to love my enemies. When Jesus says to love a family member who is hard to love. When Jesus says to love somebody who's on the other side of the aisle in a political way or in a way that I think, really, here's what's hard, you guys. You get it, right? It's hard to love people who don't get it. Like I get it. <laughs> right? We love a Jesus who comes to us and says to us to rest to rest in him. But we're not quite sure to, what to do with a Jesus who calls us to suffer, to take up a cross, to join him in his sufferings. I'll leave that guy for you to see. <laughs> we're not sure about this Jesus. We love his justice. I love that we follow a God who is a God of justice. But I'm not sure we know what to do when he calls us to holiness and purity and things that seem to go against our culture. We make a Mr. Potato Head Jesus. And what happens when we do that is that he becomes less, not more. You see, we believe that 
the true Jesus. Jesus isn't just a figment of our imagination. He's not just an icon we created for our spiritual meditations. We believe in a Jesus who is God and 100% God and 100% man, and that is a mystery to us. We believe that Jesus, God came in the flesh and stepped into history, and he can be known through history, and he can be known through the scripture, and he can be known by his spirit. And we wanna know this Jesus not the figment of our imagination, not the Jesus that we create for our own means, but a Jesus who is real. And when we meet Jesus who is real, and I know many of you have, he's wonderfully delightful, but he's also disruptive. And that's how I can know. (laughs) If I'm looking to the Jesus I made up or the Jesus who is real, if he's not disrupting me a bit, he's probably my Mr. Potato Head Jesus. And so, what we're gonna do over the next eight weeks is we're gonna be in the book of Colossians. It's a little New Testament book, it's short. We're gonna be in the book of Colossians because the book of Colossians is about Jesus. And it's about Jesus. And it's about Jesus. There are only 95 verses in the book of Colossians, but 73 of them refer explicitly to Jesus. Colossians was written to a young church, a new church, just beginning to follow Jesus. And it's an encouragement to them to order their life around him to order their life around the one who is worthy of their life. So we're gonna be in Colossians, so you gotta come back. And the other thing that we're gonna consider in the next eight weeks, the other thing that can trip us up in our followership of Jesus is our interaction with the Bible. Because here's what we do with the Bible, we kinda do the same thing that we do with Jesus. Um, We pick and choose, we take what we like, we focus on the things we like and toss out the things we don't like. If you go to the Smithsonian, you can see Thomas Jefferson's Bible. Now this Bible, they didn't discover this Bible till after his death, because I don't think he thought it was probably politically um, profitable to him to show this Bible uh, when he was president. But what Jefferson did was literally, I mean there was no cut and paste back, well there was literal cut and paste. He took a razor and he cut out the verses of the Bible that he didn't like, right? And so what Jefferson came up with, he created his own 84-page New Testament. Some of you are like, I want that. I want the shorter version. Here's what he did. He cut out, he removed all the references to Jesus' miracles, all the references to the resurrection, all the references to the ascension, You see, Jefferson's Bible was focused on Jesus as a man of morals, not on Jesus the Messiah. Not on Jesus, God in the flesh. Jefferson's Bible is all morals, no miracles, no majesty, no sovereignty. And that's what we do too. We cut out the pieces that disturb us. 
We love the Psalms. And I don't know if you're like me, anytime I do that read through the Bible in a year kind of thing, kind of because of a trauma in seminary, um, when I do that, I always give myself permission to skip over Leviticus, right? <laughs> of course. This last year though, when I was doing it, I actually read Leviticus. And I was like, oh my gosh, we should do a sermon series in Leviticus. It's rich, it's filled with so much that is important for us to understand as we think of the whole Bible. And so this is what we're gonna do together. Menlo, you ready? We're gonna be in the book of Colossians, but we're also gonna step into the spiritual practice of Bible study. And the way that we're gonna do that is we've created a webpage. If you go to menlo.church slash Colossians, we've got all kinds of resources there, just general resources in how to study the Bible, but also specific to Colossians. So every week there's a worksheet on, uh, to help you study Colossians. So I hope you go there. We really hope that you will do this together in community, in a group. We have hundreds of life groups across our campuses uh, that study the Bible. We have Bible studies that meet on our campuses that study the Bible, and so we hope that you'll dive into the practice of study. Not just scripture meditation, not just scripture reflection, and those are great practices as well. We enter into practices because they transform us, they change us, and one of the things that we wanna do going forward at Menlo is anytime we're in a sermon series that's four weeks or more, we're gonna bring a spiritual practice alongside that, that series, and this time it's Bible study, so we hope that you'll join us in that. Our understanding of Jesus, our interactions with the Bible, the third thing that can trip us up in our following, our following of Jesus is just our misconceptions about following. Our misconceptions about following. When Jesus said, follow me, he wasn't telling people, catch up with me. Run harder, strive more, figure it out, get, to get, get it together. When Jesus said, follow me, he was saying, come be with me. Come order your life around me. Not just to be his student, but to be his apprentice, right? When we think about being a disciple, the language of apprenticeship is actually really helpful to us. Because an apprentice doesn't just learn by taking notes. An apprentice learns by seeing, by imitating, by doing with. That's a disciple in the scripture. Jesus says, come be with me, do with me, see me, have relationship with me. To follow Jesus is to become more and more like Jesus by being with Jesus. But here's some of our misconceptions when we hear the word follow Jesus. Again, it can be something that we, we kind of just put in religious institutional terms and we think of striving, we think of religious performance and, and maybe that's rooted somewhere for us. 
But if our following is rooted in shame, then it's tempting to just make it about feeling like a good person. If our following is rooted in performance, it's tempting to make it about being seen as a good person. And if it's rooted simply in family history, which can be for many of us, right? It's what my family always did. We did church things, we went to church. We were religious, we were Christian because we're American or something like that. We do church activities. We're Christian but not too Christian. We're Sunday but we're not Monday. We have this dutiful should of following Jesus. The other image that comes to mind in our culture, when we hear the word following, we can't help but think of social media, right? In the United States, the average person in the United States spends two and a half hours a day on social media, following someone, following something. And here's what that does for us, because our following on social media gives us uh, a different sense of what it is to follow than what it is to follow Jesus. Following on social media is a false intimacy, right? We think we know them. If we run into them in public, we like think, oh my gosh, there's my BFF, and then we remember uh, we don't really know them. But following Jesus is a real intimacy. Now it's mysterious, and we're gonna talk about this as we go into this series. What is it to follow a God I cannot see? What is it to follow a God who is invisible, but who invites me into a deepening, supernatural intimacy relationship with him? On social media, following is a false identity, right? Be like this influencer, be like them, don't be like you, and we're sucked into the vortex of comparison and competition while following Jesus is our true identity, to be formed into the likeness of Jesus, which is to become our truest self, not less of you, but more of you, Following on social media is a one-way relationship, right? You know every detail about them, they know nothing about you. Following Jesus is a two-way relationship. We have a God who listens, but we have a God who also speaks. We have a God who is present, who's everywhere, who loves us, who wants our hearts and our minds, who wants our minds and our hearts. Jesus, who wants to spend time with us. Following on social media is based on our own personal preferences, right? But following Jesus is based on the way of Jesus. In a really good way, following Jesus is not just about me. <laughs> it's about him. It's about his kingdom. It's about being more than just about myself. 
It's about being with others. Following on social media is a frenetic kind of following, right? You can follow as many people as you want. You can follow them and then you can unfollow them and then you can decide to follow them again and then you can do that thing like they have on Facebook where you can pretend to keep following them but never see anything from them. You've done that, I know, right? But following Jesus is a focused following. Following Jesus is forsaking all others, having no other God before him, knowing that he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. Following on social media, there's no guarantee with those we follow. Often they fail us. Following Jesus is a firm foundation. He is steadfast. He is faithful. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He is our rock. Following on social media requires very little of us, but following Jesus requires all of us. It requires everything because Jesus sacrifices everything that we might join him live with him in that sacrificial life of love and service and worship for his kingdom, for the kingdom we were created for. Following on social media is a sprint. There's always new content, there's always new trends, there's always new messages, there's always more to see, there's always more to look at, there's always more to click on. But following Jesus is a slow walk. Jesus is not in a hurry with you. He is patient. He is kind. Jesus is not in a hurry in your formation. Jesus is not in a hurry with Menlo Church. He's not wondering, oh my gosh, beat it up, get going, move. Following Jesus is a slow walk because following Jesus is a relationship, a being with. And one of the things that I love about the Bible is that typically there's these themes that run all the way through the scripture, but we learn about them from different angles, different teachers, different books, different metaphors. And in the book of Colossians, Paul never uses the language of following Jesus. But he's gonna help us know what it means to follow Jesus. He's gonna help us by giving us some images. Two images that Paul gives us in the book of Colossians for following, being with, doing life with Jesus. The first, he gives us prepositions. English majors, y'all excited? He gives us prepositions. This is what I mean by this. In the book of Colossians, you'll see over and over again the words in and through and for and by and to and from and into and with. Over 70 prepositions in the book of Colossians. In Jesus, through Jesus, for Jesus, by Jesus, to Jesus, from Jesus, into Jesus, with Jesus. And with those prepositions, 
he also gives us a word. It shows up in Colossians chapter three. It's a hinge verse in the book. We'll obviously go deeper into this passage in a few weeks, but Paul gives us the word hidden. Colossians 3 says this, says since then, and he's talking about, he had just told them, since you've become a Christian, since you've begun to follow Jesus, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. That's a picture of set your heart on things above where Jesus is because he is still the sovereign. He is still in control. He has not released his power, his sovereignty over all things. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. What does that mean? What does it mean to have our lives hidden in Christ with God? Well, I think Paul, this is my theory, um, I think Paul may have gotten this idea from Jesus. Certainly, Paul learned from those who had heard Jesus' teachings, had walked with Jesus, and so I believe he was familiar with the words that John recorded in John chapter 14. That This is the moment when Jesus is, um, he's telling his followers that he's going to die, he's going to be resurrected, and he is going to ascend to the right hand of the Father, and they're having none of it. <laughs> they're not getting it, they're not sure they want that, and what would that even mean for them? Because how do you follow someone who is not present with you? It's the question we have. What does it mean for me to have a relationship with a God I cannot see? So Jesus is trying to help them understand this. What's gonna happen? He says, don't worry. I'm not gonna leave you as orphans. I'm gonna come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. What does that even mean? <laughs> we could sit with that for a long time, right? I think it's why in the next chapter of John, Jesus says this, because <laughs> I think they're like, huh? Jesus is in the Father, we're in Jesus, Jesus is in us, what does that mean? Jesus says, let me give you a picture. I am the true vine. Imagine a vineyard. I am the true vine, which there he's saying, I am the true Israel. I'm the Messiah. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. 
apart from me, you can do nothing. And where are branches? They're hidden in the vine. When you go to Napa, you're not looking for branches. You're looking for the vine. When you go to Napa, you don't even see the branches. You see the vine. That's the picture that we have to be the hidden branch who begins to look more and more like the vine that holds us, to bear fruit that the vine gets the credit for, to be the conduit of the vine's work, to be hidden in Christ. And let me say this, this doesn't mean passivity, because this means relationship, and every relationship requires intentionality. Paul says, set your hearts and your mind, that's an action, on the things above. But I also wanna say this, when I was sharing this with some people, they, they were really concerned about this imagery, this emphasis on the hiddenness because they felt like it was too passive. And if that's you, that's okay, that's good. Maybe Jesus is disrupting you a tad. Maybe sit with why does that bother me? Why do I want more action? Because the invitation is not to catch up with Jesus, but to be with Jesus. So over the next eight weeks, you're gonna keep with us? You're gonna hang with us? You're gonna download some, uh, some Bible study resources off our website? All right, the five of you that will, awesome. I hope you stay with us, join with us. Would you stand? as I pray and we go into some worship. Again, Paul's words, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Father, we invite you to have your way with us over these next eight weeks. By your spirit, would you help us? For some of us, the thought of lifting our eyes, setting them on heavenly things, Setting them on you, Jesus, feels exhausting. For some of that, us, that even kind of feels like a sham. We haven't had any interest in you, really, if we're honest. Maybe we've been really disappointed. Doesn't seem like you're showing up for us seems like you're showing up for others, but not for me. Would you help us? Would your word come alive to us? Would the book of Colossians become a balm to us? 
would you empower us, even if just to lift our eyes to look at you, to consider you, to worship you. Maybe right now it's just by faith and not by feeling. But we offer you this song, Lord, as an act of faith, these words to you as worship.